Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. Before we get into the history on this week's episode, I'm going to let you in on a little behind-the-scenes secret. I have a list of about 90 episodes that I plan on writing for this season of the podcast, and I typically use a random number generator to decide which country I'm going to talk about each week. But because of the way history is gone, probably half of those take place during or just after World War I. As I'm sure you've already noticed, a large number of our episodes take place somewhere in the time frame of 1918 to 1921. This is great, but this is not the World War I and the Aftermath podcast. This is supposed to be about history as a broader topic. So this week, I have a specially hand-picked episode just for you. And I chose this country for two reasons. One, this episode takes place in 1982, which means that other than our first episode, the Democratic Republic of Yemen, in 1994, this is the most recent forgotten land that I'll be talking about in this season of the show. And two, this country has the longest and most ridiculous name that I think I'm going to come across in general. Today we are going to be talking about the military administration of the Malvinas, South Georgia, and South Sandwich Islands. And honestly, as I record this, I'm not sure that that name is going to fit in the title box when I go to upload this episode, but we'll just have to cross our fingers and wait and see. So let's get into the history. Everyone, take out your globes that I know you keep by your side when you listen to my show, and spin it over to South America. If you look at the very southern tip of the continent, you'll notice a small island chain. That is probably called the Falkland Islands on your map, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. The year was 1690, and English sailors had just made landing on an uninhabited island chain that they would come to call the Falkland Islands. Although the English had been the ones to discover the islands, it wouldn't be until 1764 that the Falklands got their first permanent settlement. This was set up by the Kingdom of France, and it was named Port St. Louis. And that was all well and good, but this was the 1760s, and at that time it was Spain, not France, that owned pretty much all of South America. So the Kingdom of Spain began to pressure the Kingdom of France to sell them the islands. And in 1766, they did just that, with the stipulation that the Spanish must maintain an active presence on the islands so as to deny Britain any access to it. Within a year, the Spanish had established control over Port St. Louis and renamed it to Port Soledad, and then three years later, in 1770, they made good on their deal with the French and chased the British out of Port Egmont which was the last British outpost on the islands. This almost sparked a war between Spain and Britain, but they came to terms and Spain allowed Port Egmont to be re-established. And I'm sure the French were not super happy about this, but at that point, there wasn't much that they could do. They had no presence in the Falklands. So the British returned to the Falklands in 1771, but by 1774 they were going through a bit of a recession and they no longer saw Port Egmont as profitable, 
So they left, leaving the Falkland Islands completely in the hands of the Kingdom of Spain. And this was all well and good for about 40 years. But by 1811, the Argentine War of Independence was in full swing. So all Spanish troops left in Port Soledad headed for Argentina. And now there was no one left on the Falkland Islands. By 1829, merchants wanted to resume economic activity on the islands. But the newly independent Argentina, which was at that time known officially as the United Provinces of the Rio de la Plata, was unable to provide protection to them, so they contacted the British, who provided it. Of course, Britain only casually protected it, relying on armed merchant vessels instead of the actual navy, and this would come back to bite them pretty quickly. It took only two years for something to go awry. In December of 1831, the USS Lexington raided Port Soledad in retaliation for the British having captured some U.S. merchant vessels there. This ended all occupation of the islands until December of the next year, when Argentina, now called the Argentine Confederation, tried to establish a penal colony there. Unfortunately, Argentina's little mini-Australia experiment only lasted about a month because by January, two British naval vessels arrived and reasserted their claims. But then this fell apart by August due to infighting, and once again the islands were left deserted. Then the next year, in January of 1834, the British tried again, and this time it stuck and the British would retain control over the islands indefinitely. Until 1982, of course, but we're not there yet. The British were now sitting pretty on the islands, so they decided to expand, and in 1843 they incorporated the South Georgia and South Sandwich Islands. These are some island chains even further to the east of the Falklands. In 1908, the British formalized control over these islands by combining all of them into the Falkland Islands Dependencies, which meant that they were from then on governed by British outposts on the Falklands. And I think at this point we should take a minute to appreciate just how many times the Falklands have changed hands. It started with no one, and then the British arrived, but they left, and the Kingdom of France took over, but then they sold it to Spain who then allowed the British to return, so we have joint Spanish-British rule, and then the British left, so it was just Spain, and then the Spanish left, so it was no one, and the British returned, but then they got chased off by the Americans, and there was no one again, and then Argentina took over, but then the British returned, and then the British left again, so there was no one, and now the British have returned. That's 13 separate periods of occupation, and we haven't even gotten to the part where Argentina and the UK go to war. So let's get to that. In 1927, Argentina, which was finally the Argentine Republic that we know and love today, seems to have gotten jealous of British occupation and presence in the South Atlantic because they claimed South Georgia, and then in 1938 they claimed South Sandwich too. Of course, they didn't actually control them, but this was them formally saying, we think we should control these. And this is nothing really special. Uh, pretty much every country in the world today has some sort of competing claim of ownership with their neighbors, and typically nothing ever comes of it. But the situation got pretty complicated on March 24th, 1976. 
On this day, the Argentine military overthrew President Isabel Perón and established a military dictatorship in her place. And military dictatorships are nothing if not unstable and unpredictable. Argentina proved this fact in November when they made landing on Southern Thule, which was an island in the South Sandwich chain. Though it was unoccupied, this island was very much a part of British territory and had been since 1843. Apparently, the British did not pay much mind to this, but they definitely should have, because on April 1st, 1982, we finally reached 1982, the British government warned the governor of the Falkland Islands that their intel suggested an Argentinian invasion of the islands was imminent. By the way, this governor has perhaps the most masculine name of all time. He is named Rex Masterman Hunt. So, in response to this new intel, Hunt got to work. He assembled a force of 57 military men and 22 volunteers from the Falkland Islands Defense Force in order to prepare for the invasion. He even went so far as to arm himself with a 9mm pistol. And here's a little fun fact for you. Argentina could not have picked a worse time to invade. On this specific day, the Falklands were currently in the process of a change of guard, which meant that the old guard was still there and the replacements for them were also there. So there were twice as many marines on the island as usual. Of course, twice as many is still only 57 marines, so keep that in mind. Anyway, that night, Keep in mind, we're still on April 1st. The Argentines kicked off their little April Fool's Day prank by dropping 84 amphibious commandos into inflatable boats just a few miles off the coast uh, with the goal of eventually capturing the government house, which is like the capital building of the Falkland Islands. Argentina then requested via radio that Rex surrender peacefully, but he refused. So, at 1.40 p.m. on the same day, the Tactical Divers Group, which is an Argentine Special Forces division, left their transport vessel and began heading towards York Bay, where a British airfield was located. By 4.30 a.m. now on April 2nd, the Tactical Divers made landing, set up beacons for the incoming invasion force, and quietly captured the airfield's lighthouse. An hour later, at 5.30 a.m., the amphibious commandos, which were headed for the Capitol building, reached the Royal Marine Barracks at Moody Brook, which was not far from the government house. They then surrounded the quarters of the soldiers and attacked them with tear gas, only to find them completely empty. This attack alerted the British to Argentine presence and location on the island, and the concentrated defense force arrived at the government house because it was very clear that that's where the Argentines were headed. And it's a good thing they rushed to the government house when they did, because just an hour later, the amphibious commandos arrived themselves. Although it's worth mentioning they were down now only to 16 commandos, thanks to injuries and separations. Keep in mind that they had started with 84, so clearly this mission was not going super well, but it was going well enough because they were now firing on the Capitol building. 
Argentine Lieutenant Commander Pedro Giacchino took personal command of four commandos and led them into the servants' annex of the government house. Giacchino was immediately shot and in critical condition, while his four men were chased off. An Argentine medic then tried to reach him but was wounded in the process, and seeing this, Giacchino panicked, took out a grenade, and pulled the pin threatening to blow himself up alongside the four Royal Marines that were stationed in the annex. The Marines offered him medical care if he would ditch the grenade, but he refused and consequently bled out a few hours later. The remaining 12 Argentine commandos responded smartly to this loss. They began shifting positions while maintaining fire on the government house which led the British to remark amongst themselves that there must have been about 200 men attacking them, when in reality it was just a dozen. But let's leave the story of the government house there for just a minute. At 7.15am, 45 minutes after those amphibious commandos had arrived at the government house, the main Argentine invasion force in armored troop carriers made landing at York Bay, thanks to those beacons that had been set up by the Tactical Divers Group. They were then immediately attacked by Royal Marines stationed in the area. Argentina fired back with non-lethal rounds as they were under orders not to kill, and this caused the Royal Marines to fall back to the government house as well, although at that point they were met with fire on three sides. The amphibious commandos, of course, were attacking them and the government house still, the landing party was chasing them, and friendly fire was raining down on them because who can really tell who's who in the heat of battle. These marines eventually managed to clarify their identity to their allies and make it safely inside the government house, where the battle raged on for another hour and 15 minutes until 8.30 a.m., when Hunt put up a white flag and opened up talks with the Argentinians. And what followed must have been the longest hour of the Royal Marines' lives. They were completely surrounded in the government house, taking pot shots at one another while Governor Hunt tried to negotiate with the Argentine command. By 9.30 a.m., Hunt gave the order to stand down, as the Argentine invasion was now complete and British forces were outnumbered more than 10 to 1. The Marines were escorted to their barracks under armed guard and told to pack their things. They were then escorted off the islands and back to the UK. Hunt and his family were also deported. By the end of April 2nd, 1982, the Argentines controlled the Falkland Islands, which they called the Malvinas, by the way, which you see in the title of our episode. But they weren't done yet. The next day, the Argentines occupied the South Georgia and South Sandwich Islands. Of course, the British did not give these up freely. The Argentine invasion force of 60 men on South Georgia was met by 22 more Royal Marines, who put up quite a fight. They killed three invaders and even shot down a helicopter before they were forced to surrender. With this defeat, the military administration of the Malvinas, South Georgia, and South Sandwich Islands began. Argentina immediately set out Argentinizing the islands. They mandated that Spanish and the metric system be used, 
as well as all vehicles drive on the right, not the left, like the British. Eventually, they also mandated that all citizens carry identification papers, curfews and blackouts were put in place, and radios and cameras were confiscated. Critics of the Argentinian occupation were deported. On April 21st, just 18 days after securing control of the islands, the Argentine army conducted a demonstration of napalm, that's right, napalm in the 1980s, by burning down an abandoned area of a village. I'm sure this was pretty terrifying for the Falkland Islanders, but they got at least a little bit of relief the next day when a British naval force arrived in Falkland waters. Within three days, this force managed to recapture South Georgia, and they capitalized on this victory on May 1st, when, in the early morning, a Royal Air Force bomber attacked the airbase at Port Stanley, which was the same one that the amphibious commandos had captured months before. These attacks actually continued until dawn. The bombers were coming not from South Georgia, but from Ascension Island which is some 4,000 miles away in Central Atlantic. In response to these attacks, the Argentines imprisoned 114 British villagers from the town of Goose Green, claiming that it was to protect them from retaliation by the Argentine Air Force. As if things weren't bad enough for the Goose Green villagers, on May 4th, just three days after their mass imprisonment, a British destroyer was sunk by a missile off the coast of Goose Green, and a sea harrier was shot down overhead. Things got at least a little better for the civilian prisoners two days later, on May 6th, when a medical clinic was set up for them in Goose Green. They called upon these medics pretty much daily, and this, combined with the British attacks and the 1,000 occupying Argentine military personnel, was starting to put a serious strain on the infrastructure of Goose Green. The naval and aerial attacks continued for over two weeks until May 21st, when the British finally managed to make landing on the Falklands. Seven days later, the British captured the 1,000 Argentine defenders of Goose Green and liberated the 114 civilians. Now, a thousand soldiers is a lot of men to capture, and this takes us back to that damaged infrastructure in Goose Green that I mentioned earlier. Throughout the occupation of the Falklands, or the Malvinas, depending on who you ask, Argentine troops had been suffering from malnutrition. This is because the islands were very sparsely populated prior to the invasion, and they still are today, and this meant that the food infrastructure was just not meant to feed an occupying force of this size. When your army is hungry, morale drops pretty fast, and when morale drops, it's a lot easier for those men to be captured. And that's exactly what happened at Goose Green. But just because Goose Green had been captured did not mean that the war was over. Fighting went on for over two weeks until June 14th. At 11 a.m. on this day, British troops were engaged in combat with the Argentines on Mount Longdon, which was just outside the capital town of Stanley, when all of a sudden the fighting came to a stop. 
Argentine morale had broke, again, thanks to malnutrition, and the troops were now fleeing from the cold and the snow. Yes, this was June, but we are in the Southern Hemisphere. Deep in the Southern Hemisphere, actually, which meant that cold and snow were pretty much par for the course at this time of year. With the British victory on Mount Longdon, the Argentine occupying force stood little chance of regrouping and retaliating. So that same day, on June 14, 1982, at 9 p.m., the Argentine governor of the islands surrendered to the British. This brought about the end of the military administration of the Malvinas, South Georgia, and South Sandwich Islands. The British deported over 4,000 Argentine POWs back to Argentina on the SS Canberra, which was technically a cruise ship, so it's possible that that was a fun little trip for them. Six days later, on June 20th, the British retook the South Sandwich Islands by expelling the garrison on southern Thule. And I think it's rather poetic that the first island to fall to Argentina was the last island to be regained by the British. This ended 74 days of conflict in the Falklands War, although the military administration itself had existed from April 3rd to June 14th, which was only 72 days. So why was the military administration of the Malvinas, South Georgia, and South Sandwich Islands forgotten? I think there's two reasons for this, and they are two big ones. For one, it's just the general history of the Falkland Islands. Think about that long list of occupants. And actually, let's go over that list again, because I think it's amusing. I'm just going to give it to you in bullet point format this time. No one. England. France. Spain. Spain and Britain combined. Just Spain. No one. Britain. No one. Argentina. Britain. No one. Britain. Argentina. Britain. It's absolutely ridiculous. And unless you happen to have a list written out right in front of you, there's really zero chance that you're going to remember all of that. And I think the second reason is probably the biggest of all. You may have noticed that throughout this entire episode, the military administration never once claimed to be an independent nation. And that means that technically this entire episode was off topic. The military administration was only ever an extension of Argentinian territory. Every other episode we've had so far has been one territory or another actually claiming independence, whether or not they actually had it. But this time, that never occurred. And that is going to be a pretty rare thing on this show. I don't want to get used to that. But I thought that the military administration story and the story of the Falklands War in general was interesting enough that I would talk about it. So I'm sorry that this episode was technically off topic, but I had fun writing and recording it, and I hope that you had fun listening to it. This week, at the end of the episode, I actually want to plug something new, or technically something old if you listen to my intro episode. Patreon.com slash History of Forgotten Lands. That's my Patreon page, and I'm starting to bring it up to date. I am running an entire second series on that page called The Birth of Nations, where I talk about how every single country that we see in the world today came to be. Every week I talk about a new country, and by the time you're hearing this episode, 
The Patreon will be home to episodes about Afghanistan, Albania, Algeria, Andorra, Angola, and Antigua and Barbuda. If you want to get that exclusive content, it's patreon.com slash historyofforgottenlands. And for the low, low price of $5 a month, or 1,200 Argentine pesos, you can have all of that and support yours truly as I make this podcast. Thank you all for listening to episode 11 of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast, and I hope to see you again next week.